know, ask any baller. If, if you know, you know. The game has changed, but it's still the same. If you want it, go get it. Shazam! The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line, the shot on Elo. The Bulls win! They win it! Mike, you're honestly telling me that you're top five. Yeah. Top five of all time. No question about it. Booker, this is for the win. Got it. Wow. The ruling on the floor is made basket. You know, one thing's for sure. Over at Valley Sports Plug, you're never going to catch us slipping. First overall pick, the Phoenix Suns select. Three, two, one, yeah! Welcome to a very special episode of Pass the Outlet. I'm your host, Michael Benjamin, joined as always with my co-host, Chris Patrick. Chris, how you feeling today, man? What's up, Mike? It is draft day. I couldn't be feeling any better than I am right now. I mean, I guess if the Suns had a first-round pick, maybe. But I'm excited to see what happens. We've already seen a lot of trades and some shenanigans happening. I know. I think the first pick is probably pretty locked in with Wembenyama at this point. But uh, excited, man. Excited to be here and uh, see what happens. Definitely ready to roll. Right now, the Phoenix Suns are slated to pick at number 52. There's a lot of rumblings that that will probably be moved. Obviously, there's some news on the Phoenix Suns front, so we're going to get into that. But then there's a lot of other movement that's been going on, like Chris was saying. But we are here for this very special episode of the 2023 NBA Draft. We're going to keep you guys locked in with all the picks that are going on, all the movement, and just sprinkle in a little bit of information as we go along. But Chris, I know you just said, Victor Wenbanyama more than likely, if not absolutely positively, going number one to the San Antonio Spurs. But how are you feeling about your predictions and who you might see fill out that top three to start for the 2023 NBA draft? Yeah, and honestly, like it kind of seems like at least the three players in the top are locked in with, obviously, Wembenyama, Brandon Miller, and Scoot Henderson. I think it's just kind of going to have to see who the Hornets decide to take there at number two. I was just seeing that they did have second workouts with both of those gentlemen to see which one they like uh, even more. It sounds like they're almost leaning towards Brandon Miller, so I expect he'll probably be a Hornet with the second pick and then Curious to see what the Trailblazers do. I know there's been a lot of rumbling this week about Damian Lillard maybe being on the move, and I don't know how much that impacts this third pick. But an interesting point I did hear is that if you do keep Lillard and draft Scoot Henderson, they're both playing the same position. So is that going to be a detriment to Scoot Henderson's development later on, having him defer to Damian Lillard and potentially having to play a two position or come on off the bench to start his career. So I think, uh, think we could honestly see something happen in here pretty early, but for my money, uh, the order will go women, Yama, Miller and Henderson. I think I'm aligned with you there. Obviously we know LaMelo ball. LaMelo ball is an up and coming star. We're not going to say superstar just yet, but he's a star in this league has a lot of notoriety. So I don't think you need to go scoot Henderson there, but Brandon Miller, you know, 
just a big guy, 6'9", 200 pounds. He can score from anywhere on the floor. I think that'd be a nice pairing with them. And like you said, we'll see what happens with that third overall pick with Portland. We've been hearing, you know, they were looking to possibly move Damian Lillard to the Heat. There was a lot of traction behind that, but just for a little bit of time. And then Portland came out and said, nope, we're not shipping them anywhere. But right now we're looking at it. The Spurs were on the clock, but the pick is in. And I wonder who it's going to be, Chris. Are we going to be surprised here at all? You're muted, Chris. That's probably for the best. No, I'm just saying I would be shocked if they did anything but draft Wembenyama. And if they did, I if they did do anything, I would imagine it'd be trading that first pick. Because I think, from my understanding, is the Spurs have a lot of cap space, so they could get just about any player on that roster. But you want a young guy. It seems like he's a generational talent. You can't really beat a guy that's his height and shown his ability overseas. I know I was talking to you guys last night after our game about maybe some of my concerns with women Yama and why I might not necessarily want him on my team. Uh, obviously the length is great, but that comes with a detriment when you're a guy that size. I know we, I threw out a name like Yao Ming who ended up having a shorter career. Uh, he was a huge guy and it, the wear and tear just caught up to him. But again, as you pointed out, Wembenyama doesn't have quite as much weight on him as Yao Ming did. And so maybe that, wear and tear isn't going to be as bad and also as physical as the game still is we have seen scrawny guys like Kevin Durant be successful in this league without having to bulk up and become the size of Zion Williamson yeah right now I'm getting conflicting reports I see 7-4 I also see 7-2 but around the 235 pound range uh, for that size, uh, he's lean. I mean, we already know that. But, you know, in the international game, Wembenyama started to excel this past year. For the Metropolitans, in 34 games, he averaged 21.6 points, 10.4 rebounds, a little under three assists a game, but three blocks as well. It's going to be interesting to see how his game translates into the NBA early. I think that he, he has a lot of expectations coming out, right? And it just really depends on how strong, fast those guys are in their mind, knowing that the expectations are there early and they're going to be there often and how can everything translate. But how are you feeling about Wembenyama, Chris, to start? Are, are you excited to see him come into this league? Do you think he's going to take it by storm? Or do you think that he's really not going to live up to the hype? Yeah, great question. And I'll piggyback, you know, despite what I was just saying there about my concerns about him being injured, he was injured while playing for the Metropolitans. But in a perfect world, if he is healthy, he starts the season and he starts playing. I think he is a guy who can have an impact right away for the San Antonio Spurs. They could definitely use a guy on that roster. It's funny, you can see there on uh, the CBS.com draft tracker, the Spurs need a point guard, power forward and center. And in a way, um, Wembenyama, I forgot his name for some reason, fills all of those spots. I mean, as he, although he is over seven foot, he can handle the ball and is kind of in this era of positionless basketball where he is a guy who can more or less play one through five. Obviously, you're not going to start him at point guard, but a guy who can spread the floor and offer you a variety of options. And there you go. It looks like Wembenyama is for sure the first pick in the 2023 draft. 
Wow. I'm, I'm shocked, Chris. I can't believe this. <laughs> you mean they didn't take Jairus Walker? You know, to be honest with you, man, I just cannot believe how incredibly lucky the San Antonio Spurs find themselves with finding generational big man. You go back to the 80s with David Robinson, you know, his his tenure stretched throughout the 90s as well. Then you have possibly the best power forward of all time in Tim Duncan, who was able to secure five NBA championships for them. And now you're finding a kid who might be a generational talent once again. I mean, I guess the rich just get richer. I know the San Antonio Spurs have struggled the past two years, but they still have a Hall of Fame coach with Greg Popovich. They have a decent young core, but adding in this kind of piece is just going to be truly incredible. I don't know if they take that huge step within the next two years, to be honest with you, but the future's looking bright for San Antonio. That's to say the least. Without a doubt. And it's just like you said, the rich get richer and it kind of feeds into that rigged NBA conspiracy theory. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I mean, the Spurs are more or less a small market, but they do have a pretty big fan base somehow. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's a head scratcher. But just because they got Wimbenyama doesn't mean they're going to be in the playoffs next season. I think there's still going to be some growing pains. I think um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Popovich did sign an extension and he's going to continue coaching this team. I wouldn't be surprised. I think he'll coach till he dies, quite frankly. And, and <laughs> he's a great, I mean, he's a great coach, great basketball mind. A lot of guys love playing for him. He, it's funny to me, he's almost like the Bill Belichick of the NBA. You know, this grumpy guy doesn't give the most in-depth interviews and has a built a culture there and has been a coach there. Probably he's probably the longest tenured head coach in the in the NBA right now that's on the same team anyway. He definitely has to be there, but yeah, I mean, looking at the San Antonio Spurs roster, obviously a lot of things are still ch changing. We're not even to free agency yet. A lot of guys haven't been signed, but you know, one of their main key pieces who started to take a next step this year was Keldon Johnson, the 6'5 small forward out of Kentucky. Like what he can do on both ends of the floor, and he started to expand his range outside as well. Trey Jones, he's a point guard from Duke. His brother, unfortunately, was just traded to Washington, and we're going to get into that a little bit as well. But like what he's done within his opportunities to start for the San Antonio Spurs. And then you got guys like Jeremy Sochan, who has that crazy free throw, uh, you know, one-handed shot. And Doug McDermott, who we know can fill it up from outside, a solid role player. But, yeah, I think there's still a lot of pieces that the San Antonio Spurs need to collect before they can find themselves as true contenders. But, man, I mean, if you're a Spurs fan, you just got to be jumping out of the gym right now and super excited. But we got to move forward. The Charlotte Hornets are on the clock. They got about three minutes left. And right now we're seeing those best fits as Brandon Miller – uh, Amen Thompson out of overtime or Cam Whitmore out of Villanova. Chris, I know you said Brandon Miller. What are you liking about his game? And do you think he's going to be able to make a contribution early for the NBA? That, you know, as far as making a contribution and hitting the ground running, I don't quite know, to be honest. It's, it's going to be interesting to see pairing him alongside LaMelo Ball, how those two kind of mesh together. And we've seen two guard backcourts star backcourts work in the past i mean you could look at an example of say 
the Golden State Warriors with Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. But what, what I like and what I've seen from Brandon Miller is just his ability to score and be a leader on the court. I mean, even just as a freshman at Alabama, he really made an impact there on that team and took them to maybe new heights. I, I know Alabama football program tends to outshadow the basketball program, but they did they did hold their own and play pretty good. I did want to ask you, though, since we're since I was looking at this, the next four picks, three of the four guys that are projected to go in these next four picks, uh, only one of them played in college. And that was Brandon Miller, who I was just mentioning. Scoot Henderson played in the G League last year and the Thompson Twins played for Overtime Elite, which the name of that league escapes me now. But what type of impact if you're a GM or you're going into this or if any impact is it of taking a guy who opted for an alternate route other than going to college from a player out of the United States. You know, to be honest with you, I don't see it as a detriment. That's just where the national coverage and movement is going. I mean, these are the best guys, the highest profile athletes coming out of high school, given different opportunities, whether it go overseas or now play within the G League or that overtime league. And they're playing good competition. It's not like they're slouches. And you can almost say that some of it is catered a little bit more towards the NBA game in regard to spacing, you know, creation, getting guys into one-on-one opportunities, because we still see that a lot within the NBA. Whereas college, you know, depending on programs, like we were talking about Greg Popovich being a guy who's tenured and has coach for the San Antonio Spurs for basically longer than I've been alive. It seems like at this point, but you know, when the, with the college game, it's a lot more structured. It's a lot more fast paced. We're running plays. We're running zones. We're just doing different things that sometimes don't translate over to the NBA game. So I love it, man. I love giving these young kids opportunities to grow their game and move to the end goal, right? Which is to play in the NBA. I think that's what guys are doing in college. Now, if they're choosing those routes, those high profile guys, if they can go to Duke or Kansas or Kentucky, you know, there's always that goal at the end of the day. So, so to have different avenues is just better overall for anybody who wants to try and, and have their dreams come true and play in the NBA. But I'll ask a question to you, Chris, do you think that there will ever be a time where high school guys coming right out of high school are going to be allowed to be drafted into the NBA again? Do you think that will ever come back? I mean, the way the game is kind of going and the amount of talent we're starting to see come up through the ranks, I think it's entirely possible. I know they kind of put a damper on that or a nix on that, if you will, whatever the right word is, because of players that did come in and immediately found themselves behind the curve and behind the eight ball. I mean, you're only going to have a LeBron James kind of guy coming in every 20, 30 years or so. I, but to be honest, like at the end of the day, you got to let these teams and you got to let the players make their own decisions. And if they want to draft a guy right out of high school, if they think he's ready to go, that's a risk that they have to take. And I don't think it's detrimental to the league if you do that, because just saying, just because you go to college for a year doesn't necessarily mean that your game is going to progress that much you can look at a guy like Devin Booker he was really young for his age even after his year of high school and or half, half I'm sorry after his year of college I think he was still 18 or just barely 19 I don't even think he was 19 when we drafted him was he I think he was 19 he was okay yeah 
regardless, young, young guy in 18, 19, I know when you're in those years from your late teens to early twenties, that's the time when you're growing the most and going through a lot of changes and you can still be growing physically, honestly, but everyone grows at their own pace. And so if a guy is ready right out of high school, I honestly have no problem with it. Right. It, it's crazy. Yeah. These guys are coming into the league so early. I mean, their bodies aren't even finished developing. I mean, didn't, didn't we see, um, the guy from golden state, he came back and he actually had a growth spurt. Kaminga, right? Yeah. Jonathan Kaminga, you know, there's reports out of just kind of the training sessions that they're doing is that he might be over seven foot now, which is just incredible. So yeah, I, I still am on the fence if it'll truly ever come back for guys getting drafted right out of high school. But you know, these options that they have is, is still good overall for anybody who's trying to make that next step. Uh, that, with that being said, we've seen the number two pick come in. The Charlotte Hornets have selected Brandon Miller out of Alabama, the 6'9", 200-pound freshman. In 37 games, he averaged 18.8 points, 8.2 rebounds, and about 2.1 assists, about a block and a steal per game. I like this kid, man. I know he's had some off-court incidents, but his shot creation at that size, we'll see. It'll translate. I, I just don't know how fast it will again. But all right, Chris, now we're on to number three. This is where it gets interesting, right? Oh, boy. What are the Portland Trailblazers going to do here? That's the million-dollar question. And if they draft Scoot Henderson right now, that doesn't mean that there's not a trade that could happen later on in the day or the week. I just, again, I'm going to reiterate, I'm curious to know how it would work out if you keep Dame Lillard and you keep Scoot Henderson, which one of those guys goes to the two? I'd imagine it would be Scoot, but who really knows? And that's not even to mention the other guards that they already have on that team. The Portland Trailblazers are in an interesting position, in my opinion, because you have a guy who's been insanely loyal to your team in Damian Lillard. And he had runs with LaMarcus Aldridge and with C more recently with CJ McCollum. And they just never really found their footing or a way to break through in the playoffs. And, you know, building all those pieces that you need around a guy like Damian Lillard to make a deep run. And if I'm, if I'm in his shoes, I'd be frustrated by now because you've toughed it out. You've believed in the franchise and the organization. And now you're in your mid thirties coming you're, you're closer to the end of your career than the beginning of your career and he doesn't have a ring he's a multi-time all-star and honestly a guy who i think deserves a ring and in the right fit could probably win one but that could be said about a lot of guys at the end of the day i just think it's going to come down to what the talks are have are being had between dame and the organization and what kind of agreement they can come to on how to move forward or, and if they can really for their money, I guess probably sell them on what their path forward would be. Should they decide to keep him or work out a way to keep him? Cause again, like I, I was saying, if I'm Damian Lillard, I would want a clear plan of action on how you're going to bring in talent to put alongside me and win a championship. Which is the million dollar question. I mean, if you look at this roster right now, there's just a lot of unknowns. I mean, possibly the second best player on this team is Anthony Simons. He's still young. He's only 24 years old. But like you said, we didn't see that much success with them pairing together. Yusuf Nurkic is just on the wrong side of 20 right now. And with his injury history, it's it's just a cause for concern if he's still going to be your main big guy. 
I do like what Jeremy Grant did step in and, and, you know, had some promise, but he's another guy who's going to be 30 years old as well. And there's just a lot of other pieces who have moved on from other places that just haven't panned out with the NBA. I mean, you got Kevin Knox from the Knicks. You got Cam Reddish, who came from the Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks. Matisse Thibel, I, I like his defense, but what is he going to be able to translate over, you know, consistently for the offensive end or anything like that? Shaden Sharp did step in within basically at the end of the year when they had thrown the white towel and he did show some promise, but you know, same thing. There's just not enough pieces to be making a push like we saw the Portland Trailblazers do not, not even that far ago, but you know, for Dame at some point, I don't even know if it's more frustration, but it's just seeing the writing on the wall and taking the, that next step to move forward and and give yourself an opportunity to maybe maybe get a title but with that being said chris you nailed it scoot henderson goes number three to portland out of g league ignite we just keep seeing more and more of these guys come out of that specific team in the g league um, he played 19 games averaged 16.5 points uh, 5.3 rebounds about seven assists and one steal per game Chris, how you feel about Scoot, man? Would you like him on your team? Oh, man, I don't know. He, for all of my uh, criticisms about how he's dressed, dressed tonight at the draft, I know he does have a really nice game. Uh, he's a good scorer. He's a good passer. He's really kind of everything you could really ask for in a point guard uh, on top of being six foot two. I know that's not the tallest point guard we've ever seen, but he has the height. He has the speed and the ability to impact both sides of the basketball. So I, I think, honestly, this is, could be another guy who could hit the ground running. Um, and the benefit, I guess, going back to the question I asked you, now that I'm thinking about it, you talk about uh, players coming out of college. They're only playing against college talent. Well, in the G League, those are guys that are on the cusp of being in the NBA and playing a similar game at a similar level. So he already, in my opinion, might have the – experience of going up against guys of that stature uh older players not necessarily playing against other 19 20 22 year olds in, in the college game so that could give him a leg up and maybe that's why they feel if they can keep him and put him alongside Damian Lillard that that could work out in helping them find success quicker because I, I, that was another thing I'm just kind of thinking out loud here on the fly but if you're Damian Lillard do you really want them to draft a guy because how long does it typically take a new drafted player to actually have an impact and be able to win a championship and be a, a significant part of a contending team? I know there's always those guys that will be playing third or fourth fiddle that maybe can put in some buckets. But when it comes to late season and playing 82 games and then also the added intensity of playoff basketball, I just think a lot of these young guys aren't quite ready for that right away. Yeah, it's few and far between. I mean, even for the Denver Nuggets, who just won the NBA title, they had a rookie who was in their eight-man rotation, Christian Brown. But he did make some good impact, but he was there to just be a role player. He didn't get a crazy amount of minutes, but he understood his role. And it's hard to find that from young guys, especially guys who have had the spotlight on them basically throughout high school and on throughout college or whatever teams they've played for. 
it's an adjustment period for guys to come in and truly understand what their roles are going to be if they're on a championship level team, right? And, you know, these guys at the top of the draft, they're not really going to be on contenders unless there's some crazy trade. Maybe the Suns trade into the top 10, but, (laughs) you know, like that just doesn't happen very often. But now, Chris, we're at the point within this draft. I think it was pretty easy to know that the top three guys were going to be Wimbanyama, Miller, or Henderson, and now the field opens up. But before we start getting into some of these other teams, Houston Rockets, they're on the clock right now. Then we got the Pistons, the Magic, the Pacers, the Wizards, the Jazz, and the Mavericks to close out the top 10. I do want to get into a little bit of what we've been seeing during this short offseason so far. And we've already seen some moves take place. First and foremost, the Denver Nuggets win the championship and they make some moves just with picks. But on the ninth, they traded their 2029 first round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they received the 2023 number 37 second round pick. They also got a 24 first round pick and a 24 second round pick. They also swapped some picks with the Indiana Pacers. The Nuggets got the 2023 first round pick and the second round pick. So number 29 and 32 respectively. Uh, And the Pacers got the 23 second round pick, which was number 40 and a 2024 first round pick. Chris, what do you make of the Denver Nuggets making early offseason moves after just winning a championship? Yeah, it's it's very interesting that they would be that quick to I don't know if it's necess- it's not blowing up their team obviously as long as you have Jokic and Jamal Murray, you're going to be good to go, but I think it just tells you that they are willing to make adjustments and they want to continue to put themselves in position to stay competitive and be that top team in the NBA and maybe try and do it back to back. I mean, obviously try and do it back to back, but actually pull it off. It's, it's crazy though. I mean, it's, we're less than what, two weeks removed from the finals concluding. And I know the year, the league never stops. These guys always have to be thinking ahead and they'll get a couple months off here. I mean, the players will anyway, but there's always stuff going on in the back office. These GMs work around the clock trying to make things happen. And it, it does surprise me a little bit, uh, but at the same time, if one of their star players isn't moving, I I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, honestly, it might just be building up some draft capital to make some moves for some more key pieces that might be able to come off their bench. I mean, sticking to an eight-man rotation in the playoffs is really crazy. Obviously, it worked for them. But if you can get another solid contributor that can come in and you can give some rest for your guys so they don't have to stretch themselves super thin, maybe that's what they're trying to do right now. But uh, some other uh, some other moves that have happened, not too much so far. Like we said, it's pretty early, but the Lakers moved up in the second round. Uh, they swapped with the Indiana Pacers to move to number 40. And the Pacers got the number 47 second round pick and some cash. But now we got to get into the meat and potatoes. For our Phoenix Suns, on June 18th, the Suns and the Washington Wizards made a trade for Bradley Beal. I think it's finally been solidified and the trade has been made. 
because there's another trade that just happened. We're going to get into that as well. But the Washington Wizards got Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, multiple second round picks and multiple pick swaps. I got to pull this up, man, because when I was looking at it, it was crazy. I know a lot of people have been saying the Suns didn't really give up that much at the end of the day. But the Wizards, they received second round picks in 2024, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 2030. And first round pick swaps for 24, 26, 28, 20, 30, and cash. But the Suns did get a couple of guys back. They got Jordan Goodwin, the guard, Isaiah Todd, the forward, and the big meat and potatoes piece of this guard, Bradley Beal. Chris, I just got to ask you right off the bat, man. How are you feeling about that Bradley Beal trade for the Phoenix Suns? Man, it's been a it's been a roller coaster of emotions for me, to be honest. Because my first gut feeling was that I was just kind of asking why uh, Brad Beal. He's a good player for sure, but he's another guy that comes with his own baggage as far as injury history and injury concern goes. And on top of that, he plays a similar position and style as Devin Booker, where you add that on top of already having Kevin Durant. Now you have three guys who are ball dominant. I just struggle to understand exactly how that's going to work. But as more news about it, and as I learned a little bit more about Brad Beal, it seems he can play the point guard position a little bit and had to do that in John Wall's absence, especially this last season. But on the flip side of that token, I'm also hearing now that they might move Devin Booker to play the point guard position and have him play that role. I mean, we have seen point book in the past. We know Chris Paul was inconsistent and over the past two, three seasons in and out where he had to step in when maybe campaign couldn't do it. And even before that, even before we had Chris Paul, he he had to be point book at times. So I think that could be the way to go. But honestly, no matter who's bringing the ball up out of the three of those guys, I think they're going to be able to create shots for one another, drawing double teams and getting open at, at a certain point in time, you're going to have a situation where whether it's Booker or KD or Beal get hot, you're going to have to double one of those guys, or you'll be tempted to double one of those guys. And that should open up the floor for everyone else. The other interesting thing with this trade though, and I, I think it's getting buried is thank God we got rid of Landry Shamit. My <laughs> goodness. I just, I, I'm so ecstatic. Everyone was calling for his head after this last playoff run and getting bounced out by the Nuggets. And our prayers were answered. Matt Ishbia, James Jones, they heard us, and they shipped him out of town and sent him to wither away on the Wizards. Um, another interesting thing, last thing I'll say here before I pass it over to you is, I'm hearing a ton of good things about this Jordan Goodwin kid. Apparently, he is a crazy talent. People are saying we, we stole him from the Wizards in this trade, and a lot of the reaction around the league seems to be that the Suns really fleeced the Wizards with this deal. We unload an elderly Chris Paul, a terrible player in Landry Shamit. These pick swaps are kind of crazy. I don't fully understand that. But then we also get Jordan Goodwin, who is a solid young guy, Bradley Beal, who is an all-star, and even Isaiah Todd, a forward that might find his way into this rotation and play in some minutes. I haven't heard as much about him, but I have heard that he could be uh, not just a filler in this trade, but actually a player that can produce on the court. What were your reactions to it, though? Like, are you think Brad Beal is going to fit in with this team? 
I think they're going to find a way to figure it out, but I was a little bit surprised. I don't think that Bradley Beal was ever on my radar. I thought that we were going to try and bring in another kind of point guard. I was wondering if they were going to try and make some cap space to possibly go after Fred Van Bleet. I know there were the talks about possibly bringing Kyrie Irving in here, which I really hated that one. But then James Harden, there's just obviously you hear a lot of stuff. A lot of it doesn't really hold weight. But once they did come out and say that Bradley Beal had his no trade clause and he was kind of putting his uh, radar right on the Phoenix Suns, it happened really fast. But uh, Chris, we, we're going to get into it as the offseason goes on as well. It's it's really going to come down to a matter of what kind of you know depth you can build now with 163 million of your cap space already taken up and chewed up by four guys right now with Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton, and now Bradley Beal. You know, you really got to count your lucky stars to see if we're going to be able to get some of these mid-level exception guys or veteran minimum guys to come in and make a difference. And that kind of scares me because when you're talking about minimum level guys or veteran minimum guys, those are guys who are older. And what comes with older guys? Injury issues. And what do we already have from these guys? I know, Chris, I think you have put a tweet out basically of what each three of those guys have played within the past couple of seasons. Like Bradley Beals played 50 games. Devin Booker played 62. Kevin Durant, how many did he play? Under 50, it seemed like. But, you know, you're going to have to cross your fingers that these guys can stay healthy and at least solidify themselves in the top four seeds so you can have some home court advantage because we saw what happened when we didn't have it against the Denver Nuggets. Now, the Denver Nuggets, they were on a mission this year. They were the best team in the NBA the entire season. But, hey, man, I'm just excited that this Phoenix Suns team is all about going for it right now. And Matt Ishbia seems to understand that we're in a situation that this fan base and this franchise has never won an NBA championship. Why don't you step in and try and, and make some moves and, and get us there? So uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to say the least. But with that being said, we saw Chris Paul go to the Washington Wizards. We're very thankful of what Chris Paul did. But literally three days later, which was today, Chris Paul is going to the Bay Area. He was traded to the Golden State Warriors. And the Washington Wizards received Jordan Poole, a 2030 first-round pick, which is top 20 protected, and a 2027 second-round pick. Chris, I think there's a lot of different things that might go into this. I'm not even sure if Chris Paul is really going to play for the Golden State Warriors. But what were your thoughts when you saw that news come out today? I did not expect this move at all. Obviously, we've all been hearing the same things of him wanting to head back to California. We were all thinking Clippers, maybe Lakers. The Golden State Warriors were the last team that I was thinking that he would end up on. And it is also a head scratcher because Jordan Poole was kind of coming into his own in the last season, made great strides in Steph Curry's absence, picking up the scoring load and was really showing his ability to to play and perform, especially in tough situations. I think if I'm rem remembering correctly, he did have a bit of some rough games in the playoffs, but he is still a young player. Uh, and so, I mean, good on the Wizards, I guess. I would much rather have Jordan Poole than Chris Paul at this stage in their respective careers. And I think 
if I'm hearing some of the rumblings correctly, Chris Paul could be on the move once again, more likely through being waived um, and cut from the Warriors. They It sounds like they might have just done this to clean up some cap space in the coming years since they did sign Jordan Poole to a pretty massive contract in the offseason. But it's just crazy that players and money can shuffle this much and, and in this amount in the in the uh you know off season and just in general where it's just not what i expected at all i don't know what the warriors are doing because like you kind of said there we don't know if he's going to play and i can't imagine he will because how does that even work with chris paul and steph curry who's going to handle the ball right (laughs) yeah that's why i'm really at the at the point i don't think chris paul is really going to play for the golden state warriors I'm just surprised that they're kind of giving up on Jordan Poole that fast. I mean, what? The new GM, Mike Dunleavy, came out three days ago basically saying, we wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Poole is here for the next four years. And then three days later, they (laughs) ship his ass out. It's crazy. And we know Draymond Green, he is not going to opt in into his, uh, his final year of that deal. Wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself with the Los Angeles Lakers. But Chris Paul, man, if they waive him, I could see him going to the Clippers. I could see him possibly going to the Lakers. But Chris, the question is, do you think that Chris Paul might find himself back with the Phoenix Suns next year? That I'm I'm not so sure about. I haven't looked at I did think I had that thought after he was traded back to the Warriors because from what I was hearing initially is that once he was traded to the Wizards, if the Wizards had cut him, that he wouldn't be allowed to re-sign with the Suns. But I wonder if it's a loophole now where if he's then traded to the Warriors and he's cut from the Warriors, does that mean he just can't sign with the Wizards and then he could sign with the Suns? Or how does that plan out? I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what, you're not going to be able to pay him $30 million to come back to the Suns. And I think that was what he wanted. He wasn't willing to to do the the wave and stretch or anything like that to take less money. He still feels like he's worth that, that money. And I just, maybe the, obviously, obviously the Suns didn't feel the same way. They were willing to part ways with him. And I mean, to get a guy like Bradley Beal, I mean, you're going to, you're going to want to pull the trigger on that. So I just to answer your question, I think the chances are slim. I think it would have to come down to one, if that loophole works where, you know, if you bounce in between a couple of teams, if he can come back after being released. And then two, if he really doesn't have any interest in having a team pay him $30 million and he sucks it up and says, well, I might not get the money, but if I sign with the Suns, I might be able to get a ring and look at it from that perspective. I mean, between between his NBA contracts, his state farm contracts and whatever shoe deals he used to have. I think, I think you're set Chris Paul. I don't think an extra 30 million is going to make or break the rest of your life, buddy. Yeah. Him and Jake from state farm. I think they're doing, they're doing just fine. Those checks are still coming in. I feel like I see a different state farm commercial from them every other day, but I would just wonder at this point, if he might feel some type of way about how he was traded and the move that was made for him to want to come back to the Phoenix Suns and play what now fifth fiddle to everybody else, because you're crossing your fingers. If you're going to keep Deandre Ayton, he needs to take some steps forward and he's got to be a a large contributor, especially in the playoffs, but we're going to have plenty to talk on that with Deandre Ayton, plenty more to talk about with the Phoenix Suns in this off season. So make sure you guys stay tuned. 
We're going to be recording our June 2023 in-person podcast, so that'll be coming out next week. But Chris, let's get back to the draft. We've already seen a couple more picks go in. We saw the Thompson Twins go back-to-back. The Rockets took Amon Thompson, and the Pistons took Osar Thompson. I apologize if I say that incorrectly. Not really tapped in that much to college basketball or all that kind of stuff, but we got to make sure we're bringing this to the people. I'm looking at the stats for the Thompson Twins, man. I mean, they're twins, and their stats are almost the exact same. Right. Uh, in 16 games, they both averaged 16.3 points. I'm an average 6.4 rebounds, 6.2 assists, and 2.4 steals. Osser averaged 6.9 rebounds, 6.1 assists, and 2.7 rebounds. How are you feeling about these draft picks, uh, respectively, for the Rockets and the Pistons? I think it makes sense uh, for where both of those organizations are at right now in their rebuild, if you will. I think, you know, you definitely, if you have a high draft pick, you want to take the best talent available and just kind of kick the tires on this, these guys, see what you have. I don't think you worry too much about who's already on the roster as far as positions go. Um, I, I I don't think it's a surprise at all. I, I think it is funny, though, that the we see twins getting drafted into the league again. It almost reminds me of uh, Marcus and Markeith Morris. Uh, I wonder if they'll end up on the same team sitting across a, the desk from a GM together negotiating a, a combined contract and figuring out who gets what. I also wonder how much uh, trash talking there is between them and how Amen might be uh, rubbing it in Asur's. Again, sorry if we mispronounced either of those names, but if he's going to rub it in his brother's face, like, hey, I got drafted ahead of you by one pick. And, <laughs> but if you're if you're one of these brothers, Mike, would you rather play for the Pistons or the Rockets at this point in their respective rebuild, if you will? Oh, man, that's a really great question and a tough question, right? Because we know Monty Williams is going to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, you know, he has started to solidify himself as a coach who can grow guys and get teams to a certain level, and then it caps out. But the Detroit Pistons, they have a lot of ways to go you know they have some young pieces still marvin bagley he's not as young but you know the houston rockets they have some pretty solid young guys when you start to talk about jabari smith and jalen green even kevin porter jr who's not that young anymore but i just wonder for the houston rockets are are I still feel like there are ways away from playing true team basketball. And right now it's really about flashiness, getting your numbers and, and trying to kind of make your name instead of really putting it all together. So I honestly might lean more towards going to the Pistons, which might be crazy. What about you, Chris? Ooh, that is, that is a hot take. I mean, you, you bring up great points Uh, for basketball reasons. I think Pistons do make more sense. But for the city, I would probably much rather be in Houston than in Detroit. Uh, I mean, you did see the Rockets uh, hire Ime Udoka, uh, who has some pedigree and just was kind of, he was the guy that was unceremoniously uh, removed or fired from the Celtics, right? Yeah. So that was uh, interesting to say the least, but that means they, they also may have a solid head coach. Of course, we know who Monty Williams is. And if you've listened to any of our podcasts or live streams, you know, my criticisms of Monty Williams, but 
at the end of the day, when it comes down to rebuilding a franchise, he's shown that he can do that. He did that with the Suns. He can bring a team together. But I think once the team is built, he's not your guy. So maybe Monty Williams is just going to be the team builder. Maybe he's going to go from organization to organization for the next 10, 15 years of his career. And he's going to build the Pistons up. And then once they're a winning team again, they'll get a head coach that can take them over the hump. I guess I can't say that yet. It, it, I think I'll only be able to say that definitively if the Suns can make it to the finals next year and ideally win the finals, but that's getting way ahead of myself. We still have a ton of off season and a ton of basketball left before we get to that point. But uh, my, that's my long winded response to say for basketball reasons. Yeah. I would probably want to go to the Pistons, but for my life experience, I'd probably want to go to the Rockets. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, they've been a bottom dweller for a while, but you know they got some nice young pieces. I like Jalen Duran. I like Killian Hayes and Jaden Ivey. You know, you even have some big man there with Isaiah Stewart, who's just a rebounding machine. And we'll see what James Wiseman can do if the new scenario is going to, you know, help him take the proper next steps that he needs to as a, you know, a top three pick. Uh, we already saw Marvin Bagley start to kind of change the narrative as well, but he's unfortunately started to get a stigma of injury prone as well. And they're finally going to be getting Cade Cunningham back. So, you know, I, I'll be watching and seeing what they're going to do this next season, but we got to move on, Chris. We got a couple more picks that have come in. We have Anthony Black, who was drafted number six to the Orlando Magic. Anthony is from Arkansas. Last year in 36 games, he played 12 or he had 12.8 points average, 5.1 rebounds, about four assists, and 2.1 steals. Six foot six guard, a little bit bigger. This one is kind of surprising to me because they have Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony, who I thought had kind of shored up that point guard position, but maybe they're looking to switch him out. Do you know anything about Anthony Black? How are you feeling about this one, Chris? Yeah, I'll be uh, completely honest. I remember when we were back in March uh, going through the tournament, we did talk about Anthony Black a little bit being part of that two-headed monster at Arkansas. And then they just really underperformed in the tournament. And so as far as watching him play, I can't say I have watched him play too much. But, you know, I mentioned, what was it, Scoot Henderson at 6'2 as a point guard being a good size. Anthony Black is 6'6 at point guard. So that is a whole different story right there. That tells me if they're listing him as a point guard that he can handle the ball, he can hold his own. CBS Sports here is giving the Magic an A draft grade. And so to your point, though, with the kind of logjam they now might have there in Orlando, I think you're probably going to see Markel Fultz on the move. I don't know about Cole Anthony. I think they want to keep him around. I, he did show spurts of being a high-quality player. Um, and who's who's his dad again? Um, oh, Shoot, name escapes me. I think he's a 2K. 2K. Mark out. Anthony? No? Mark Anthony? Is that right? Or is that just the singer? I think Mark Anthony's a singer. I know his dad played for the Knicks. Greg Anthony. Greg Anthony. He played, go. yeah, 11 NBA seasons. And now uh, he works for NBA TV and Turner Sports. So, Yeah, but that's getting off track. I do think, though, that that is a good pick for Orlando. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. Again, maybe that's they, they know they have some time. They can bring him in, kind of rotate those three guys between the one and two positions. Orlando is, of course, another organization that's kind of, 
I think they're a little bit further along. I don't think it might not necessarily be fair to say they are rebuilding because they definitely have some pieces. But in that East East Eastern Conference, excuse me, and just the NBA as a whole, they're not ready to compete and make a playoff run by any means. So they have some they have some decisions to make. And again, similar to you know the Pistons and the Rockets, they're going to want to take the best available player and kick the tires on these guys. I, I do think it's interesting though, is now that we're out of the top five these last two picks are, are going a bit differently than I think I expected. And I think a lot of the mock drafts I was seeing anticipated, it really seems like it's wide open from here and nobody really knows what these teams are thinking. I will say though, before I pass it back to you, Washington here, I'm thinking we're going to see a Jairus Walker go off the board. All right. I like that. I like that. And the Pacers at number seven, they picked Bilal Koldabali from France, uh, six, seven, forward 190 pounds played for three different teams uh in his international regular season this past year uh played for jeep elite the lnb espores and the leaders cup lnba only played one game for that team but it looks like that lnb espores team that he played for he started 16 games averaged 21.8 points Let's see here. I think about five rebounds, three assists, three steals. The NBA game has definitely transitioned into a big international market, hasn't it, Chris? Boy, it it sure seems like it. I mean, especially when you look at who the superstars are in the league today. And again, the, the last, I think, three and four MVPs maybe have all been international players in Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid this year. So the, it is a global game now. And I think, you know, players born here stateside really need to understand that they're not just a surefire thing. And they have a much larger pool of players to compete with now when it comes to making it to the highest level. I've always said basketball is the hardest sport to make it to the professional level because the rosters are so small and because this is the highest tier league with really no notable farm system. I mean, there is the G League. We see the Australian basketball leagues growing and Chinese basketball has always been a big thing. But when it comes to actually getting exposure, getting recognition and making an NBA roster, your best path is still, I think, in my opinion, through college and then into the NBA. But maybe I'm wrong there because we're seeing two players come from France already in the top 10. Two players come from this random overtime elite league. I've And um Scoot Henderson going to the G League. I know that's similar, but not quite the same. Um, with this guy, Bilal, am I seeing correctly that he might have played alongside Wimbenyama on the Metropolitans? Ooh, I am on what time frame? Was that during this year? So I, I was looking on – I'm looking on Tankathon uh, just at their mock draft, and it did say – that he was coming from Metropolitans 92. And then on his Wikipedia page, it says from 2021 to present, he was playing for the Metropolitans 92. So I don't know if it's the, if it's the same guy or not, but in any case, it looks like it. Yeah. He's 18 years old, six foot eight in shoes and his seven foot two wingspan. That's wild. Dude. Eight foot 11 standing reach. That means he barely has to jump up and he's touching the rim. That is that is crazy. Well, and that and then another that's another thing. Like we were talking about, are we gonna see high school players ever coming right out of the out of high school and come into the draft? 
I think I said that right, right? High, players coming out of high school straight into the draft. And you just said it there. That he's been in the league. He's eight, only 18. And since, if he's been playing since 2021, that means he was probably 16 years old playing professional basketball in France against grown-ass men. And we've seen that for a long time. Ricky Rubio was playing professional basketball in Spain at the age of 14, man, at the age of 14, where teams were courting him and they even drafted his draft rights. And he didn't even come over for another year or so after that to go play with the Timberwolves. And every team wanted Ricky Rubio. So it's been kind of building up to this. And and I think that's another thing is just the European model of not having this I don't know what, what the right word is, institution of education where it's like you go K through 12 and then then you decide where you want to go through there, where it seems like in these other countries, they have a model where, yeah, you'll get your general education. But once you hit your teenage years, you know, you're either going on a university path, a trade school path or a sports path. I mean, we see that a lot in soccer where they have literal soccer high schools, if you will, set up where it's like, you go to class for four hours and then you're playing for a semi-professional football or soccer team for the rest of your day and, and weeks. And maybe in that regard, America needs to catch up. I do think education is important. I want an educated society, but there are ways to do that outside of just a traditional go K through 12 and sit in a classroom. And then once you're 18, then you can figure it out from there. All right. But that's a whole nother conversation. Chris is trying to mold the youth of tomorrow. I like it. But we've already seen right now. So, Chris, you got it right on the head. Washington Wizards, they picked Jairus Walker, the six foot seven, 250 pounder out of Houston. In 36 games, he averaged 11.2 points, 6.8 rebounds, about two assists, and almost one and a half blocks per game. Like him, like him a lot. And it looks like they're, they've made a trade. He has been swapped with Bilal Kolobali. That's how I'm going to say it. That sounds about right. Uh, they just swapped tip for tap. So, Chris, I'm looking at this Washington Wizards roster. And is there any way that this team is not possibly the worst team in the NBA next year? <laughs> I mean, they got their big man. They have Daniel Gafford, who's hit or miss. Taj Gibson, who's 37 years old. I know we have a nice shooter in Corey Kispert, but you know guys like Monte Morris, Kendrick Young, or Kendrick Nunn, now Landry Shamit, and Denny Abija. I did like what he did towards the end of the of the year, but you know there's just a lot of inexperience, a lot of inconsistency, and now they're losing Christoph Porzingis as well. I know they did add, um, who did they add? They added Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, and Mike Muscala. But is there any chance this team does Is there any chance this team wins 20 games next year? 20 games. Ugh. I think the odds are slim to none. Uh, seems like they're starting the tanking early by just building the most disastrous roster known to man. I it's It's a real head scratcher. I think the GM is pretty new i think this is his first draft first time in the driver's seat and making these moves are a bit questionable um i did hear some speculation that maybe he just wants to blow it all up and rebuild from there and so if if that's his intention he's doing a, a damn good job of it oh after the moves that have been made it makes sense that they're blowing it all up but I don't want to skip over jairus walker chris i want to ask you what do you like about his game 
do you think he's going to transition to the NBA pretty fast as well? I think he will. Um, my only concern for him is at six seven as a power forward, he might find himself getting bullied a little bit. He does have a frame though. You see, they're two forty nine, so he's not a lightweight by any means. So I think he'll be able to to bang with the big guys down low. I like a lot of Jairus Walker's game from the fact that he does have quite a bit of touch. He is able to finish at the rim. His stats in college were a little underwhelming, I got to admit. For a guy who was the focal point of his team, he didn't do a great deal of scoring, never really put up tremendous rebounding numbers for a power forward. But I think that could also speak to the fact that he's willing to play his role and be more of a team player and not just command the ball. He'll do what it takes to have his team be successful. And we saw that I think throughout almost all of the season, if not the entire college season, Houston was the number one team in the country and nobody even thought Houston would, I mean, I can't say nobody because maybe people more tuned into the college game did, but I wouldn't have guessed that Houston would be one of the best teams in college basketball last season. And Jairus Walker is a big part of that for sure. So I think his game is going to translate to the NBA and I'll be interesting to see what he does there on that Pacers team. You're muted. I wonder if the Pacers are going to be are going to be able to make a push to make the playoffs next year. I mean, we know Tyrese Halliburton is starting to become one of the premier point guards in this league right now. They still have Buddy Hield who can go get a bucket for you, and I like Benedict Matherin, the guy out of U of A. He had a good start to his NBA career as well. But, you know, then there's still a bunch of guys who are still unknowns. Jalen Smith, the previous Phoenix Suns, Andrew Nemhard, Aaron Neesmith, some guys who are getting solid minutes, but they're still young. I did want to touch on what you said about Jairus Walker. You know, it's funny. We were talking about Kenny Lofton of the Memphis Grizzlies yesterday and how he's kind of in the, that same similar boat. You know, he's an undersized power forward who primarily plays inside difference with him is he's six seven yeah but he's 275 i mean that's a lot more meat on your bones and jairus walker can get up and down the floor a little bit more but i'll be interested to see i don't think the washington wizards are done moving things around right now but they're gonna be horrible man <laughs> like there's i just can't say anything but that uh Chris, before we kind of get into these next uh, picks, we're coming down towards the end of the top 10 and the end of the lottery as well. Um, the Jazz just picked Taylor Hendricks, the power forward from UCF. The Mavericks are on the clock. We'll get into that in a second. But I did want to touch on the most recent move that was made for the Boston Celtics. And it ended up being a three-team trade. It saw Kristaps Porzingis going to the Boston Celtics along with a 2023 first-round pick, which is the number 25 pick, and a 2024 first-round pick. And the Wizards got guard Tyus Jones, forward Danilo Gallinari, center Mike Muscala, and a 2023 second-round pick, which is number 35. And Marcus Smart going to the Memphis Grizzlies as the Celtics look to rebuild just a little bit and retool to figure out, you know, what they can do to take themselves over that next step. So, Chris, first and foremost, how do you feel about Kristaps going 
to the Boston Celtics? It's an interesting decision. I mean, I Marcus Smart player um, for what he does. Obviously, I think they can live without him. He wasn't a, a difference maker necessarily in their playoff run or or you know throughout their push in the Eastern Conference and their and the finals run. I just worry Kristaps is one of those guys, man, who uh, he's been known to miss some time and and not be able to play. He he's had an ACL injury in his career. That was 2018, 2019, missed an entire season. Uh, I think he was still with the Knicks technically at that time, and then we saw him move to Dallas. And he's just kind of bounced around since then. Um, ended up on the Wizards there, and obviously we're not going to hear much about the Wizards. They weren't making huge splashes, but he did play a fair amount last season. Uh, looks like he was still averaging uh, in 65 games, 23.2 points, eight rebounds, two assists, and shooting about 50% from the field. So not too bad. Uh, I think it's just weird, um, you know, because they're still going to have Jalen Brown. They're still going to have Jason Tatum. So again, you kind of run into that that problem of who's going to be getting the touches, who's going to be that guy, and is Kristaps going to be still effective not scoring the basketball uh, a guy of his height seven three who is a center and getting averaging less than 10 rebounds a game is like honestly not a great sign in my opinion and that's been kind of one of our criticisms of deandre Ayton. it's like you're a seven footer stocky dude and our center if you can't get 10 rebounds a game what are you doing uh, it's, you know, that's part of that international game, man. A lot of it is predicated on the outside and the perimeter for even the biggest guys on the floor. And it takes a lot for guys to get out of that headspace and understand the pieces that they have around them and what you have to do with the abilities that you have. But I, I'm with you. I, honestly, Chris, I, I don't love it. I, I, I don't think Kristaps Porzingis has been a consistent enough player over the past three to four years, to be honest with you, touching on a lot of the same points as you did. But, you know, they're probably looking at guys like Al Horford, who's 37 years old, who has done great things for the Boston Celtics, but his time might just be up, to be honest with you. And I know they like Robert Williams the third, and maybe that's how they kind of translate it. They could put Robert at the center to board, play defense, rebound, and do all those things, and then they can stretch with Kristaps at the four and spread the perimeter. But it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the way that the Suns are paying four guys right now, the Celtics are going to have to pay two guys absorbent amount of money. And I'm pretty sure Jalen Brown's coming up here pretty soon as well. And that'll be a decision for them to make if they're going to ride with both of those guys. And at, at this point, I think you do. I'll pass that question over to you because they're just too young and they're solid players. I mean, specifically when we're talking about Jalen Brown, I know he's got to work on his left hand a little bit <laughs> if we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I, I think you invest in those two guys because they've already gotten they've already gotten you to an NBA championship. They've gotten you to the Eastern Conference Finals multiple times within their early careers, and then you try to build around them. But, yeah, would you invest in both of those guys, Chris? I think you have to, honestly. For the landscape of the league today, I know Jalen Brown, again, talking about a guy who didn't have a great performance. 
I don't want to say in the entire playoffs because he did have games where he did show up, but that last elimination against the Heat, man, just never seen anyone build houses with bricks quite like Jalen Brown did in that game. Jason Tatum, though, you got it. You got to keep him. That's a that's a franchise guy right there. As corny as he can be with all this, I was texting Kobe Bryant before the game and and all this other stuff. Like he's a young dude. He'll grow up. He'll grow into it. And uh, I think that's a big part of it too. Is those guys are both still pretty young, and if they can grow together and build this team and this culture together, then the Celtics have every incentive to keep them and and trust that they're going to be able to keep going on. And plus, Jalen Brown told. Taylor Rooks that he was going to win like five or six championships. So confidence some, is key. He's got some work cut out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they got some more pieces to build if he's going to really get there. But as I've said, man, that's the Taylor Rooks effect. You know, she's got John Morant saying he's fine in the West. Now John Morant is suspended for 25 games. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about all that in the offseason. But yeah, Chris, man, that Eastern Conference Finals Game 7 was tough for Jalen Brown. He shot 8 of 23, 1 of 9 from three-point range with eight turnovers. It obviously wasn't all on him, but for one of your high-profile guys to not show up like that, you get pounded. And that's what happened to the Celtics in that Game 7. But let's move back to the draft. Like we said, the Utah Jazz took Taylor Hendricks out of UCF with the ninth pick. And the Dallas Mavericks just picked Kaysom Wallace, 6'3", 195 point guard from Kentucky. Is that right? That's the University of I don't think it's either United Kingdom. If it is, I'd be surprised. <laughs> That's why. At first, I was about to say uh, he's out of the UK, um, but pretty sure that's Kentucky. Uh, let's see here. In 32 games played, he averaged 11.7 points, 3.7 rebounds, 4.3 assists, and two steals a game. Another freshman coming off the board, Chris. Is this all we're going to see in the top 13? Are they all going to be freshmen or international guys or over-team elite players now? I think, I think so. I, th- I just think that's the way that the league has kind of trended, and that's been a big complaint in college too is the one and done nature where you have these guys that are are probably talented enough to go straight from high school to the pros, but because of the rule, they have to make that decision to either play for one of these secondary leagues, like the overtime elite or go into the G league, go overseas or just sit around and twiddle their thumbs for a year. But no matter what, they have to sit out between high school and college for one year, which I just think is kind of ridiculous because you do hear the opposite end of that argument where these college coaches and teams are saying like, it's not really fair when you're trying to build a program, have a guy that's only coming in for a year and like, yeah, he might be great talent, but you're right back to the drawing board, always constantly having to recruit new players to come in and compete. And on top of that, the teams that aren't a Duke or a Kentucky, um, they're not able to always get these, these top prospects that are doing this one and done sort of thing. I mean, Taylor Hendricks, that's an, that's an interesting one. Uh, again, a guy I don't know a lot about, but it looks like he has some good size at uh, somewhere between 6'9 and 6'10, 214, had some good scoring output at UCF last year. And that's, a, that's an up-and-coming program. I know they didn't get a lot of attention here until the past you know handful, 5, 10 years maybe, but that's a program starting to for themselves. 
Speaking on the Mavericks pick real quick, though, while I have the mic, I think it's important to that in a sense, the Mavericks paid $750,000 for this draft pick. I don't know if you guys remember, but they were fined that amount for sitting guys at the end of last season when they had a chance to make the playoffs and Mark Cuban just didn't want to. He wanted to be in the draft lottery. So Case and Wallace, Mark Cuban did this for you. <laughs> oh, man. He's going to have a dark cloud over him if he isn't somebody who bans out for the Dallas Mavericks. What an odd decision, man. I, I understand wanting to keep your lottery, your lottery pick, but the way that the Dallas Mavericks tanked at the end of last year after making a trade for Kyrie Irving is, as a fan base, I'm going to be honest, I would be disgusted and absolutely disappointed. But thankfully... I'm not a Dallas Mavericks fan, but I did want to touch on Taylor Hendricks, right? But as it states here, he's the first UCF player to be selected in the first round, man. That's awesome. He was a unanimous selection to the AAC's all-freshman team. He was the conference's second team all-conference. He won nine Rookie of the Week honors, which was a record for the American Athletic Conference he averaged about 15.1 points, seven rebounds, and a steal per game. Big body guy, 6'9", 210. Can't agree with what it states here as well from CBS, where it says it's an odd fit for Laurie Markinen. Uh, I do like Walker Kessler. I think they're not, they're not going to have to struggle with the boards, but he does have some upside and awesome. Props to UCF for finally getting a first-round guy. That's crazy, man. But that is, ahead. and I would, I would just say, like, that's a great point you bring up there. Little analogy, they give him an A minus, but also say it's curious, Laurie Markin. And for my, for my money, it's not that curious because I think that right away he's a guy who's going to come in and why not have a guy you believe in come off the bench behind Laurie Markin and maybe play 20 to 30 minutes, depending on the game, depending on the week. And then you, and then best case scenario, or worst case, maybe, I guess worst case scenario, you have a hard decision to make in a year or two on whether you want to keep marketing or keep Taylor Hendricks. So it's it's a no-brainer to me. Why not, again, draft the available, kick the tires on him, and see what you got. You know, Chris, I like what you just said there because it brings a question to mind here for me. And I think it's just kind of a general change that's happened within the NBA draft the past couple of years, where when I'm thinking of a guy that's getting drafted specifically in the lottery, which is the top 13 picks, how am I making a choice, especially within top 10, of a guy that's going to be a role player and not be a guy who's going to be a starter? I think a lot of that comes into play with how much the NBA draft is just a crapshoot now. You might get three guys who are general, real good contributors, play eight to ten years in this league, might make a couple of all-star games, and maybe a grand total of eight guys who play in the league for more than six years. There's just so many unknowns nowadays, but how do you feel about that, Chris? Because I, I, I'm with you. I'm aligned with when you're saying he would be a great role player to go with the Utah Jazz and come off the bench. But I don't know, can you justify picking a guy in a lottery and not seeing that he's going to have an opportunity to possibly start within his first year? 
it might be a, a long-winded and a, and a whole lot <laughs> to that question, but let's just simplify it as how are we picking guys in the lottery and they're not starting? How about that? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think it really comes down to how you got yourself into the lottery to begin with. I can't say I know the full story of Utah, but I know they weren't necessarily a bad team last season and maybe just needed a couple extra pieces to get them over that hump. I think if you're right, though, if you're a team that is struggling and did terrible and got that lottery pick off your bad record, you probably need to bring in a guy who can be in your starting rotation and start to get comfortable with that. It's definitely a fine line to walk. You know, if you have the ability to play or, position you need who could start right away I think that's a better route to go than trying to bring in a guy off free agency because the guys in free agency are always going to be more expensive always going to be a little bit older and have that wear and tear on them I just think you you really have to you know long long and narrow of it is you really have to evaluate where at as an organization did you sneak in the lottery at 13 so you were on the cusp of making the playoffs and you just didn't didn't quite squeak in and you just happened to roll well in the lottery to get a top 10 pick like like the jazz kind of did here or were you truly a terrible team who was a bottom feeder and really needs talent in here now who can start and hit the ground i think probably most drafted and, and most players in the league think they're at one, some point in time they think they're the best player that's ever stepped on the court and again it's you have to have that confidence we saw Chet Holmgren last year, uh, they were asking some type of question of uh, when the season starts, who do you think is going to be the best player in the league? And he's like, oh, I think I'm going to be the best player in the league. And it's like, no, Chet, you're not. You're actually going to get injured and you're going to sit out the whole season. And then 2023, 2024 will be your rookie year. And you'll well, you'll wear a sports bra in the offseason in these training videos. And nobody thinks that you're going to be the best because now you're not even going to win rookie of the year because – Victor Wembanyama, if he can play 60 games or whatever the minimum is, he's going to win Rookie of the Year. I imagine. I'll put, I'll say it here now. Like, I guess for what it's worth, maybe maybe Scoot does if if he really hits the ground running. Maybe uh, Brandon Miller does if he if he can really make an impact. But it just seems like you've got to evaluate where you're at as a team, and I think. That is a fine line to walk, and it's a great question that I, I think I gave a very vague and nondescript answer to. No, that was perfect, man. I just think we're past the time frames of, you know, thinking that every first-round pick is going to be somebody who contributes for a team. I mean, they might get picked. I mean, you can see it from all these trades. We're already seeing. There's another trade. Nico, appreciate it. We also see that Cason Wallace, who was that 10th pick, was just sent to the Thunder as well as Davis Bertans for the number 12 pick. Looks like the Mavs are trying to shed some salary with that Bertans um, contract as well. But, I mean, guys are just moving and flying around, and it's it's just a crapshoot nowadays, man. But with that being said, we'll move forward here. We got Jet Howard from Michigan. Chris, you know anything about this guy? I'm kind of uh, at a loss with uh, Jet Howard here. Yeah, where where the hell did Jet Howard come from? In yeah, 29 games at, played. Go ahead. That's that's wild. Yeah, no, I don't know a lot about Jet Howard. Again, um, I'm looking on this mock draft here. I've been peeking at all night, and they projected him to go 23rd in the first round. So 
clearly blew that projection out of the the water going there at 11. And, and that's another point I wanted to bring up just to wrap up my last point. I think it also depends on the quality of the draft class. Not all draft classes are created equal. So when it comes to that question of build bringing, I'm sorry, drafting a guy who can start right away and being the starting rotation versus a role player, maybe the quality of candidates just aren't there in any given draft class. And that's when you consider more of bringing in a guy as a role player and just taking your, you know, cutting your losses. They're not always going to be top tier players. And we even have kind of been saying that outside of the top five picks, it's really a wide open game for for who's going to get drafted. I don't think any of the guys past the Thompson twins have gone where they were projected to go. I mean, rank wise in the draft, but Jet Howard out of Michigan, man, he went to IMG Academy, um, which is a huge basketball high school. Been producing a lot of great prospects coming up in the league. It seems like his strengths have been his ability to not turn over the ball. He can get blocks at the shooting guard position, which is pretty big. And he's got a lot of room to grow. He's a young guy. Looks like he's just almost 20 years old. So he's young, but also experienced. So uh, again, another freshman coming out. I guess he's not 20 yet. He's 19. But again, another young guy, another freshman coming into the league. So that tells me that if he's not sticking around in college, he's getting drafted number 11. He'll be ready to to start playing in the NBA right away. Yeah, that's crazy. I I wonder to see if one of these guys aren't going to get sw- swapped out because those are both tall guards. I mean, Anthony Black is six six, and Jet Howard six eight shooting guard. I know, but there's there's still you know they got Jalen Suggs, like we said already. They got Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz. They got Paolo. Ball can only go around so much, but. I don't hate it. He's the son of a former NBA, would you say great, Jawan Howard? I don't know if I would say great. He did win a title with the Miami Heat, right? I mean, he might have been 40 years uh, old at that point, yeah. but that's a title's a title, man. And he was on the Fab Five. Oh, yeah. he. We know Jawan Howard. He made a, a statement for himself and – uh, the college game in the 90s. But we got a question here, Chris, from our boy Chev. He said, yo, did the Thunder do good or nah with that trade for Case and Wallace? What are we telling Chev here? Do we like it? You're muted, Chris. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, so I didn't see that. The, the Thunder got this pick and David Bertans for number 12 as the Mavericks looking to shut out. Okay. Um, honestly, I don't like it because why they have Shea Gilgis Alexander. What is Case and Wallace going to do? Maybe fit into that backup role. A guy who's drafted in the top 10, but he's drafted in the top 10, Mike specifically just to play backup. Um, I mean, I don't hate it. Uh, You know, Shea and Josh Giddy are starting to make a name for themselves. They're going to get Chet Holmgren back. But they had some solid contributors in that second unit, I feel like. You know, Trey Mann did some good things. Every once in a while, I feel like they swap Isaiah Joe and Aaron Wiggins. And then you have the Williams twins. Not really, but they're both Jalen, right? Uh, They've just got some nice young pieces. And it's crazy to think that they put it together a little bit faster than we probably thought. So, I mean, he's going to be given an opportunity to learn from Shea Gilgis and – 
I don't think he's a guy who's going to step in and, and take over the reins anytime soon because let's be honest, Shea Gilgis Alexander is a superstar now. But I don't, I don't hate it. I, I, I think Davis Bertans is the throw-in at this point. I, I don't really see him as a true contributor in the NBA nowadays, unfortunately. I know he was a good shooter, but I, I think his kind of time frame is done ever since he left the Wizards, unfortunately. Yeah, it has to be just, uh, you know, get moving on from a player. And even as CBS Sports there is speculating, kind of like what we're saying, it is a head scratcher with having those two guys, like you named Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Josh Giddy. He could be on the move again uh, with the way that the last couple days and even this draft so far has been going. There's a lot of moving pieces and it wouldn't be the first time we saw a guy move around a little bit on draft day. Ah. So with that being said, well, here's here's one thing too, Chris. You know what I do hate is when trades are made and they're still saying that this pick is the Thunder's pick. We already know it's the Mavericks pick. And the poor kid who just got drafted, Derek Lively II, is going to have to take all of his pictures with the Oklahoma City Thunder hat, <laughs> never sniffing the court for the Thunder. Yeah. Um, but, hey, I know there were a lot of rumblings that – this. The Dallas Mavericks were trying to make a play for possibly getting DeAndre Ayton. And it looked young, and they drafted the seven foot one, 230 pounder out of Duke. Man, this guy in 34 games played, only averaged about 20 minutes, 5.2 points, 5.4 rebounds, and 2.4 blocks. Just another young guy, freshman out of Philadelphia. A little bit unproven, but I like his size. Anything about Derek Lively really catching you, catching your eye, thinking that it's truly a good move for the Dallas Mavericks here, Chris? I mean, maybe. Uh, it seems like they did struggle a little bit at the center position. Um, I know, who was it? JaVel McGee didn't really see much playing time. Who was the other big guy I'm whose name is escaping me right now? uh give me one second for the mavericks yeah oh man i know javel mcgee freaking never played after they gave him that bag of money to leave the suns yeah it was disappointing uh, right right it was christian wood uh that i was thinking of and i know he's a forward but that guy i think he's played for six or seven different teams in his short nba career and from everything i've heard is that he just can't figure it out uh, so it seems like they needed a big presence. So I could see why they would want to go after a DeAndre Ayton because he is a big guy. They have plenty of film and they've played against him to see what he can do. And maybe Jason Kidd or whoever's pulling the ropes there thinks that they can turn to eat DeAndre Ayton around. Or at worst, he is better than their current option. Um, but if that deal doesn't happen, Derek Lively the second again, 7-1 guy with some with some weight on him. Give it a shot. Throw him down low. See what he can do. If he can get some boards, he doesn't have to score. You got Luka Doncic for that. You have other guys on the roster who can do that. You just need, like the Suns, a big guy that you can put down there and rely on to be aggressive and get boards. Don't know if Derek Lively is that dude. Don't know a lot about him, but I think it's worth a shot, honestly. And maybe you can use him as trade bait if some other team is interested. Yeah, it's funny, man. You, Chris, you say he's, he probably won't have to score a lot. I mean, in his last game against Tennessee, he scored zero points in 36 minutes. 
he did have 11 rebounds and two blocks, but yeah, I, it's it's a crapshoot, man. I won't stop saying it. Just figure out if you can plug and play some of these guys and have somebody figure it out. But yeah, I want to touch on Christian Wood. Chris, you're right. Seven teams Whew. in eight seasons. He started in Philadelphia, then went to Charlotte, Milwaukee, New Orleans, Detroit. Actually had two years in Houston, which were probably his most successful stops, where he averaged 21 points and 17.9 points respectively in those two seasons. It did okay for the Mavericks last year. He averaged 16.6 points, 7.3 rebounds, about two assists per game. But he didn't play that much. He only played 25.9 minutes a game, which is crazy to me. It seemed like every time the Suns played him, he was putting it on us. So right. But unfortunately, yeah, I feel like he's he still just hasn't figured it out just yet. I think from what I've been hearing with Christian Wood, it's a big consistency issue for him. He'll be that dude one night, uh, and then totally disappear and look aloof the other night. And who does that sound similar to? Don't I say. Can't put my finger on it. Don't, don't say. But I, but I think it rhymes with Shimandre Mayton. Shimandre Mayton. Yeah. Shimandre Drayton. Shimandre Drayton. Oh, man. You know, we're not going to touch too much on it because I know we're going to go a little bit more into it on our Heat Check podcast coming up here this weekend. But, Chris, do you think DeAndre Ayton is really going to stay with the Phoenix Suns next year? Man, I can't wait to get into the Studio B with you and Tallman because I think we're going to go long on this episode and uh, make it a little spicy. So anybody watching, make sure you tune in next week and check out the Heat Check podcast. But it's seeming more and more likely every day that DeAndre Ayton is going to be on this roster. I think for, for a variety of reasons, the biggest being is that there's just not enough of a return or market out there. And what, what are you going to do? You need a center. You need a guy that you can put down there. Excuse me. And there just aren't many options. I keep seeing people, including Matt, my brother, who we've seen on these streams, say, oh, get Miles Turner, make a trade with the Pacers, get Miles Turner, TJ McConnell, throw him in a package, send him campaign also. No, no, I don't want Miles Turner. I We've explored this, and I think if we were going to do it, we would have done it by now. Because clearly, I know the the Pacers were interested. They signed him to the, the offer sheet that we had to match. You don't do it. You don't. I don't think Miles Turner is an upgrade. At best, it's a lateral move. And the only upside would be, what, $10 million in cap, maybe. Uh, but then you're stuck with Miles Turner. I just I don't see the benefit of doing that. Um, and the other side of that that I was thinking is that you've seen Frank Vogel express interest in trying to coach DeAndre and, and thinking that he could potentially work with him and turn him around. I think there's going to be some relationships to repair there uh, with Booker and KD. And I think honestly, any criticisms, if you even want to call it that, that they've had for Aiton is just wanting to see him do better and be successful. I don't think there's any malice in it. Booker and Durant at the end of the day are just two pure hoopers who only want to see success in between the stripes and they want guys there with them that have that same mentality. So I don't think it's too much to ask for them to say, hey, Aiton, take some of our 
feedback to take some of what we say and apply it to your game because we want to see you succeed it's not that we're just trying to dogpile on you we're not being mean like michael jordan was mean to his teammates we genuinely want to see you do better so that we can all collectively do better and if he if deandre ayton can stop taking it personally if vogel can reach him if those guys can reach him i don't know man maybe but I do think that we are, for lack of a better word, going to be stuck with DeAndre Ayton, and I just hope that he can show up. Lack of a better term. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) We're stuck with the guy. Hey, you know, we're going to get into it. Yep. But I think the short and sweet, exactly like you said, the return, return, I just don't think is going to be there. And Frank Vogel, his track record with working with big men, they might try and give it one more shot. But, Chris, the last pick in the 2023 NBA lottery, the Toronto Raptors pick small forward Grady Dick from Kansas, the 6'6", 204-pound small forward. 36 games played. He averaged 14.1 points, 5.13 rebounds, about two assists, about one and a half steals. This is one of those guys who – Caught some notoriety during his high school time, you know, from being shown on Ball is Life, Overtime, all these new social media platforms and that kind of stuff. And went to Kansas, was pretty successful, another one and done guy, uh, but has started to show that he's a pretty decent shooter. I don't know, he's giving me a little bit of Tyler Hero vibes. How are you feeling about that, Chris? Do you like the pick for the Toronto Raptors? And what do you think about Grady Dick? Yeah, I could see that, um, you know, Tyler Hero comparison. I think it's a good pick for the Raptors for where they're at right now. Get a guy in there that can shoot, he can score. Uh, shout out Stephen Miller, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk. I know this is your boy, so are you going to go get that Grady Dick Raptors jersey? Is it going to be better. the Drake City Edition jersey? <laughs> but <laughs> overall, I mean, what I'm seeing about Grady Dick is He's not one of these guys that has an incredible win comparable to his height. It's pretty much a, about equivalent, I think, at 6'8", and he's 6'7". So pretty pretty standard size-wise. He's not a very prolific passer, which isn't always demanded for when you're a, a shooting guard, small forward kind of range. So I think Tyler Hero is honestly a great comparison. He could just be one of those guys that's a, a spot-up shooter, put him in the corner, knock down the open jump shot, maybe drive it to the hole when you see the lane. And that's about all you need from Grady Dick. Um, defensively, it, it, he's not going to get you any, you know, many blocks again with not having the most incredible wingspan. But I think at the end of the day, six, seven isn't bad if you're playing him at the two guard and even still at the three position, again, not, not terrible. If you can stay in front of a guy, you can, you can stay competitive on the defensive end. I don't hate it. I mean, the Toronto Raptors, I feel like, are in that tough situation as well. I mean, we're, what, three years removed from an incredible NBA title run with Kawhi Leonard? Is it three or four years? I can't even remember now. Ooh, is that pre-COVID or post-COVID? I think it was, I think it was pre-COVID, right? Yeah, because so the was, one where Kawhi's, like, crouching down in the course. So it must 20, be 2019. 2019, right? yeah. 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 But, I mean, the Toronto Raptors, I don't think there's – they're diving fully into rebuild right now, but we've seen Fred Van Vliet. He declined his player option and there's been rumblings about them possibly moving Pascal Siakam. 
They do have some nice young pieces with OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes. You can maybe put Preston Sachua in there as well, Chris Bouchard, but I, I, I don't know if they're ready to compete anytime just yet. So I think Grady Dick is going to have plenty of opportunities to step in and try and make a, a name for himself up north. And Ben, yeah, you better get out there. Get that Drake edition Grady Dick jersey. We need the photo as soon as you cop that. But Chris, we're out of the lottery now. We're coming down to pick 14 with the New Orleans Pelicans. Chris, do you want to touch on the Zion Williamson situation? <laughs> Ooh, ever so lucky. Here, here's the situation. Zion Williams has Williamson has missed 194 games over the past three seasons. The guy cannot stay healthy. It's getting ridiculous. At what point do the New Orleans Pelicans cut their losses and try and move into a better direction? Because in regard to possible pieces, when we talk about a return for DeAndre Ayton, I think this might be the time if you were to really look into moving Zion Williamson you could get some great return for him right now. If you're the New Orleans Pelicans, are you moving Zion Williamson, Chris? 1,000%. Just for that very reason you mentioned, he's already missed so much time since they drafted him. This guy had so much hype coming out of college and was even injured a little bit in college, so the, the writing was there on the wall. And he might have a high motor when he's on the court and produce when he's healthy, but off the court, it just seems like he's doing absolutely nothing I, I'm, I'm tempted to call him cheeseburger Williamson the way that he's kind of been ballooning up making poor decisions I just a lot of red flags from and it mostly I don't want to get too caught up on the off the court stuff because I don't think that is too detrimental to evaluating whether you want a guy like him on your team I think it really does come down to his availability and his inability to stay healthy for a guy that plays as hard as he does he just weighs too much man and i think didn't they write something into his extension where he had to meet a certain weight goal or something like that i'm pretty sure right now 66284 man that's <laughs> just a lot of strenuous activity to be that size to play at an nba level i mean yeah you're looking at it chris uh 2019 2020 he played 24 games his longest played season, 2020, 2021, he played 61 games. Didn't play at all in 2020. And then last year, he played 29 games. I mean, in four years, for you to invest this much into a guy, I mean, at what point do you just wave the white flag? And I know he's already got his contract extension from his rookie deal, so they're paying him a lot. And I think this is going to be that last kind of – the last ditch effort season where if he doesn't play at least 60 games, because you almost got to start factoring in every guy is going to miss like 10 to 15 games every year, right? Until the NBA and the new CBA strike some kind of deal where they take 10 games off. I know they're going to start talking about that in-game playoff uh, situation. So that will cut down some for some teams, but I just don't know. And yeah, the last thing that I'll say about the Zion Williamson off the court antics, 
you handle your business, what you got to do. All I know is that that chick got her Twitter deleted or suspended. So hopefully he's in a okay mental space right now. Well, so that's it's, what I'll say. It's funny. What did you mention? Just that's that's hilarious. But going back to what we were talking about, Zion, you said he was 6'280? 6'6, 284 is what NBA.com lists him at right now. Wow. So the Pelicans clearly wanted to go in a wildly different direction and draft Jordan Hawkins, who's 6'4, 186. Yeah. Like 100 pounds less than Zion and only two inches shorter. Obviously playing different positions. It looks like Jordan Hawkins here is a shooting guard where Zion is playing the four typically um, when he's playing. I'm surprised to hear that he even played 60 games in a season. That almost didn't sound right to me, but I'm, I definitely believe you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't hate the Jordan Hawkins pick, man. This is a guy who was a sophomore, so played two years at UConn. Let's see. His first season, he only averaged 5.8 points, but then he came back his next year, played 10 more games, averaged 11 more points, 16.2 points, about four uh, a little less than a block and a steal per game, but he's a shooter. He can, he can stretch the floor. He can put the ball up from outside. He can drive an attack, and he's an NCAA champion. I think that just is so underrated nowadays for guys who can play at the highest level, even in college and contribute and take their team to a title. Like we saw it with Mikhail Bridges, man, this guy is taking it to the next level and he won two NCAA championships. There's something about a pedigree and a mental fortitude that guys need to go through a tournament like that. And overall, when it comes down to playing in the NBA playoffs, you have to kind of have had that experience. Would you say so, Chris? Yeah. Oh, I would agree 100%. That ability to go through it with your guys and win big games and clutch moments, to, to win one championship in college is impressive, but to win two is absolutely amazing. So, I mean, that's Mikael Bridges. Obviously, Jordan Hawkins only got the one, only got the one. But there's a lot to be said for that, for sure. This this kid will be ready to go. He'll know what it takes. And I think it really helps them with their mental fortitude when it comes to, like I said, clutch situations and playing in those big moments. He's not going to be shy for it at all. Love it. Well, okay. I don't love it because I know <laughs> what the New Orleans Pelicans can do specifically against the Phoenix Suns. And they're a solid team, and it looks like they're trying to build out their core a little bit more. But, Chris, we're heading into pick 15 here with the Atlanta Hawks. The pick is in. It looks like Adam Silver is going to be walking up here just in a matter of moments. But, Chris, as we get down towards the end of our time frame with our NBA coverage – what are you hoping the Phoenix Suns do here in this draft, if anything? Honestly, I I don't want to say I don't care. I just think if they take a player in the second round, it'll be of no consequence. I, I don't see them getting a player in the second round that's really going to be able to have an impact unless they can trade up. I was seeing early reports that the Suns might be interested in Amani Bates. I don't know where that stands as of today. Um, I think he might have increased his draft stock a little bit. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not seeing him here on the 
the what is it called mock draft i'm looking at okay it looks like yeah it looks like he might still be available uh, amani bates he's a a tall lengthy small forward who can shoot very similar frame and play style to kevin durant so i know that was another and even and I think Kevin Durant did put his stamp of approval on that saying that he does like Amani Bates in his game. So if you can bring in him as and turn, we ha, it's not like it's unheard of to see a second rounder turned, turned into a good player. I believe Jokic was a second round pick. Mr. Quesarito taken during a Taco Bell commercial in the, in the draft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally. So anything's possible. Like I've said earlier, there is a large group of great basketball players going for a very small amount of openings and opportunities. There's only what 60 players taken every year in the NBA draft. And there's only 15 players on each roster. So he, you're going to get a guy who can ball. It's just, can he immediately come in and play at an NBA level or are the sun's really going to actually use that pick to draft a guy like Bates or someone else who they think that they can build up and have someone who can help this team a couple years down, three, four, five years down the road, especially as Kevin Durant gets older and starts declining in his ability, as we might have already started to see a little bit in his short stint here with the Suns. And hopefully it's not true. I Hopefully my, my eyes were deceiving me. But, you know, yeah, I don't hate Imani Bates. I think he's started to fall down draft boards just with some of his off-the-court stuff that's been going on. But... We saw him working out with Kevin Durant. He has some good length. He can shoot the ball pretty good as well. But we'll see, man. Give some guys some opportunities. Because the truth of the matter here, Chris, is the Suns aren't going to have draft picks until the end of the decade. <laughs> so it probably won't last. I know they'll make some trades. They'll get some draft capital back and, and whatnot. But if things were to stay as they are right now, I think this last pick of, of this year is all the Suns have, which is just truly incredible for two guys. But let's go ahead and look at the pick number 15, which the Atlanta Hawks just took Kobe Bufkin of the Michigan Wolverines. He's a 6'4 sophomore out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Last year in 33 games, he averaged 14 points. 4.5 rebounds, 2.9 assists, and about one and a half steals per game. He's a lefty. He's got a little bit of an awkward shot, uh, but he can put it in a little bit from outside, can drive to the basket, probably going to be a shooting guard, hopefully for the future to pair with Trey Young. But Chris, anything catching your eye from Kobe Bufkin? And are you happy with this pick for the Atlanta Hawks? Do you think the Hawks are going to finally make a, another push a little bit deeper within the Eastern Conference this year? I think it's very possible. I, I, For my money, the Hawks have been underperforming the past couple of seasons. I think the organization probably wants to see a little more from Trey Young, considering they gave up Doncic for him and kind of put their trust and belief in him. I'm not saying he's not doing anything because he is, he can still score. But again, it's like we keep saying with these guys, it's the consistency that counts. And for my money right now, Trey young is not proving to be super consistent. So you put a guy uh, next to him. If this Kobe Bufkin guy can take um, on some of that scoring load, maybe even help open the floor up on the perimeter a little bit for Trey young. He does like to take three pointers. So if you're having guys rotate more, it's very possible that, 
just by having a, another shooter on the roster, you can open up some more opportunities for Trey Young. Uh, but Kobe Bufkin, man, that's a, the second Michigan player I think we've seen taken in the top 15. He was a sophomore, um, if I'm not mistaken. So a guy who stayed around in college another year. Uh, that experience, again, could help him come into the league and be ready to start playing versus a guy who's a freshman coming in. Uh, it, it could go either way. Um, we've seen it kind of happen that way. But an interesting uh, interesting choice. You see CBS Sports here gave him an A-minus grade and so they seem to think it was a good pick, and so I'll trust their opinion on that. We're all just flying in the dark with these guys, man. It just really all depends if they can translate, and and I don't hate it. I mean, uh, the Atlanta Hawks roster is another one that just is continually moving around. They made the trade for Sadiq Bay last year, and maybe this is a pick thinking that Bogdan Bogdanovich just isn't the guy that's going to – Take them over the top, unfortunately. We'll see if John Collins is there. Same with Clint Capella. I know those were another couple of guys that were rumored for possible DeAndre Ayton trades, but a lot more still to go in the NBA draft. We'll make sure to keep you guys posted on all of our other socials. You can find us at Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at AZ underscore VSP. Thank you for joining us here on YouTube for this live stream. Make sure you check out all of our other videos. Our Diamondbacks recap from June 6th to June 18th just dropped yesterday. You can stay up to date with everything and stay up to date with all Valley sports. But Chris, before we head out for the night, do you got anything else for the people? Man, just like you said, make sure you're staying in tune so you can keep up to date with everything going on. As we mentioned, we do have the Heat Check podcast coming out next week that we'll be recording over this weekend. It should get nice and spicy as there is a lot to discuss, and we tend to speak passionately on the Heat Check podcast if you've never checked it out. So thank you so much. If you've made it this far in the stream or the playback, we thank you so much, and I'm sure there will be much more to discuss as the rest of the draft rolls on. It's hot here in Arizona already, and we'll make sure to keep bringing the heat. But I'm Michael Benjamin. That's Chris Patrick. Thank you for joining us for this special episode of Pass the Outlet as we followed along with the 2023 NBA draft. Peace, y'all. Have a good night. want it, go get it. Shazam! He's in the Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line, the shot on Elo. Ah, the Bulls win! They win it! Mike, you're honestly telling me that you're top five. Yeah. Top five of all time. No question about it. Booker, this is for the win. Got it! Wow! The ruling on the boys made basket. You know, one thing's for sure. Over at Valley Sports Plug, you're never going to catch us slipping. With the first.
first overall pick, the Phoenix Suns select. 